This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. There's one person whose role it is to lead the customer experience drive, and that's the CEO. I don't think it can really sit with other people. The CEO or the MD or whoever the boss is needs to buy into it, agree to it and drive it. And then it's up to every single other person in the organization to deliver on it. That's the voice of Dan Fine. He's a customer experience professional. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hello there, I'm Michael Bomson. So today we're speaking to Dan Fine. He's a customer experience professional. He's worked on brands like NAB, Telstra, Census, Vic Roads. But what we really get into in this interview is what a customer experience professional actually does. Mm. I think we have quite a few listeners who get given the role of customer experience in some way or someone all of a sudden starts having that in their remit and they're maybe not even too sure. And so, I think this episode really unpacks the topic of being a customer experience professional in all its shapes and sizes and also where to go to continually skill up, which I, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, Dan gives us a whole list of resources, books and video courses and all that kind of stuff that um, you can go to upskill and learn more about customer experience. So, don't miss out on that. The other topic we cover is voice of the customer. So, we started the discussion by asking Dan how he sees technology helping the delivery of customer experience. You know, supported by technology, the more you can understand your customers, the more you can predict their needs and the more personalized and human the interaction can be. So, I guess if you look at some of the bleeding edge technology of, you know, artificial intelligence and robotics and everything else, I think that at the end of the day, customer experience is about getting a really big organization that's full of systems and processes and a hell of a lot of people and trying to humanize that and make it personal and individual for their customers. And that's very hard. And I think that doing that with more automation and more technology will be a big challenge. And I think that's where a lot of the future sits. So, you mentioned something there, Dan, that I thought was actually really interesting. You mentioned automation. And I I completely agree with you about, you know, humanizing and making more personal interactions is the future. But how do you scale humanization and how do you do it through automation? Because to me, they seem like they're two kind of concepts that pull in opposite directions. I think that's a, that's a really good question and I think that is the exact, if I was to succinctly say what CX is, that's kind of it. How do you get humanization and empathy to scale? That's the question. Maybe let's actually start with who you think is doing it well and, you know, we you always hear the, you know, the usuals, the, the apples of the world, etc. And of course, they do do it well but, you know, you're a CX pro so you sort of know the behind the scenes, how they pull it off. So, maybe there's some guys that are building some of the infrastructure and they're not quite delivering it or they're a little bit more not as well-known brands or there's, you know, some bank in Norway that's, you know, doing some pretty interesting things. Are there any that come to mind that you think are humanizing and creating an empathetic experience at scale. An example I had recently was with a bank and I'm hesitant to say which one because I'm doing a bit of work with banks. But as a customer, I called up and I got my issue resolved. They did the whole, is there anything else I can help you with? Do you have any other questions? Whatever else. And it was all fine. It was a vanilla experience. It was fine. The hygiene factors were all there and there was nothing really to delight me over. But then at the end they said, Dan, by the way, did you know you've been a customer of ours for 26 years? So, thanks for that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, you, you give loyalty and you pr- provide that loyalty to a big organization and those big organizations in the past 
have taken it for granted and they still often do, especially organisations that are quite sticky like a bank. But to be a bit more human about it and say, holy cow, you're actually a really well-valued customer of ours and not just valued but, you know, you're a long-serving customer and we appreciate that and that was really good. One other example that I've heard of but didn't experience, I don't know if you guys know this story but it's a well-known one, from Nordstrom in the States where a customer came in and they were looking to return their snow chains, their, you know, for the car. And they went up to the counter and said, uh, these snow chains don't work and they keep falling off and I want to return them. And the person asked if he's got a receipt. He goes, no, I don't have a receipt, but, you know, I'm a customer of yours. You should be able to look it up. Here's my name. He's looked up the name. Yep, no worries. I don't have a record of it, but how much did you pay for the chains? $150. No worries, here's your $150, have a great day. Nothing so amazing until you find out that Nordstrom doesn't actually sell tyre chains. And the reason that they return them is this person is such a valued customer, they know the history of them, they know all the data, and they just want to make sure that they continue to have a great experience with Nordstrom. So that's a really nice story Mm. that I like. (laughs) Let's explore the different types of ways that organisations go about hiring and placing someone who's a customer experience professional because I've seen people who are in the marketing team who maybe come from a marketing background, they get slapped the CX, you know, in the title, which I think is great. I think, you know, holistically, we don't want to have a crack at organizations putting customer experience in people's titles because I think the intent is really, really good, right? And I think different people from various backgrounds want the same outcome increase the way that they deliver great customer experiences. But maybe there is actually a thing now, like, you know, yeah, like it is a customer experience professional, but maybe let's explore the different types of people and how they sort of come into that role. And then we can kind of then unpack it a bit more from there. I see CX professionals as falling into three buckets. There are those that are super, super focused on the customer, whether that's internal customer or external customer, really focused on getting them the best experience possible. Then on on the other hand, there's the CX professionals who are commercial. They've got more of a business background. They might be executives already or they're basically chasing the next wave of success that will help them achieve their business success or, you know, achieve the financial metrics that they're trying to achieve. Then there's the professionals who can do both, who understand both. So they are very genuine when they focus on the customer and they really want to give a better customer experience, but they're also cognizant of the fact that they are a CX professional working in a business, in a commercial environment that needs to you know, deliver financial outcomes to their shareholders. So, it's kind of a balance of you can build pretty things and delight customers all you want and feel really good about yourself. But at the end of the day, if that's not going to lead to business success, you and all the team is not going to last that long. That makes sense. And out of interest, where do you see research in this mix? Because sometimes I see folks that have a, a research background take on the customer experience title. It sort of it feels like there's like a couple of buckets, right? It sort of feels like there's research teams that take on customer experience. There's support organizations that take on customer experience because support is viewed as customer experience, but maybe their mandate's not as holistic as it needs to be or should be. Probably the most common trend is marketing organizations and even very senior marketing, you know, start taking on customer experience, which is a good thing. And then you have this sort of business business process sort of side or, you know, ex-management consulting type view or maybe even a financial perspective on it like you mentioned. How do you see that shake out and what is a true CX pro in that mix? I really think that anyone can be a true CX pro. But in terms of, you know, specific titles, there are people who focus on customer strategy or contact center or CRM experts and all that sort of stuff. But in, in organizations, there's a lot around the, the voice of customer and there's your analysts, there's people who drive initiatives and programs of work 
to improve scores and measures of, of the experience your customers are having. Um, there's people who manage those platforms. There's market researchers and culture change and process change. And that, that can all just fit within VOC. And then you've got designers of your human-centered designers and service designers who are ultimately designing the, the customer experience, employee experience. There's XX designers now for whatever industry. So there's people designing the learning experience or whatever. And, and to me, basically, they're all taking a human-centered design approach to solving problems. And then there's culture change. And there's a lot of people in culture change who are trying to drive that customer centricity and their CXs. So I guess to kind of simplify all of that, I think that there's one person whose role it is to lead the customer experience drive or that customer centricity, and that's the CEO. I don't think it can really sit with other people. The CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The boss. I, see, I wasn't expecting you to say the CEO. I thought you were going to say the CXO or the CCO, the Chief Experience yeah, Officer, the Chief yeah. Customer Officer. So that's actually a really important point. I don't want to. I don't want to miss that. Like, why? Why the CEO? I think that it's the sort of drive that needs to come from the top. Now, it can start elsewhere, and it usually does, and it often starts with whether it's the CMO or CXO or Chief Customer Officer, whatever. It might start with them or in their team. But ultimately, the CEO or the MD or whoever the boss is needs to buy into it, agree to it and drive it. And then it's up to every single other person in the organization to deliver on it. And it kind of starts from the opposite end, being your frontline staff, whether it's in person or contact centers or at the end of a chatbot, whatever. They're the ones that are delivering it. The guy at the top is leading it. And I think that if that's the machine the CX professionals are the ones that are trying to lubricate the machine. So execute the vision from the CEO and enable the frontline staff to actually deliver those delightful experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. And, and it's also a lot of it's just about keeping them honest, keeping the boss honest and keeping the frontline off honest <laughs> about doing what they're saying they're doing. Throughout your experience, to get to this point where you understand what humans want and how to delight humans and be empathetic, what skill set is actually required from people, your employees, your staff to actually do that? I think they need to be intelligent. A lot of CX roles require someone to have a university degree. But I think more importantly is the character that that they are. So, someone who's curious and inquisitive is important. You don't want someone who knows everything and thinks they have all the answers. You want someone who knows that they don't know anything and that they are only one customer and they need to go out there and talk to other customers. So, that's really important. I think they need to be very empathetic and have a high EQ. I think that's quite important. And I think that having an open mind and being adaptable to change is important, but someone who's also strong in their convictions. You want someone who goes in with an open mind and curiosity. Uh, so, they might have a hypothesis or assumptions, but they do all the right research. They find all the answers and they're still going to be left with a level of ambiguity. So, this person needs to be able to make a decision, take action and stand by that decision with 51% confidence, but 100% conviction. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. But then after that, they need to be able to adapt, take on new information, feedback, and completely pivot their initial thought. Can I ask before we move on, why only 51% confidence? Because it's more than half. Yeah, but <laughs> why not 100% confidence? Is it because it's impossible to, to, like, there is always inherent ambiguity in this because there's emotion involved? Or is it the humility to know that? It may not be right. I think it's the humility to know that it may not be right. But it's also, if there's something that you're 100% confident about, there's not necessarily skill in it. And most people, it'd be obvious to most people, right? That's a good point. 
But if it's something that's actually a bit borderline and you've really got to fish for that insight and what that solution might be, that you might only have 51% confidence in. Now, obviously, the more you've got, the better. Can you give us an example of something that you've worked on that, you know, the evidence was unclear and yet you still have to make a decision either way? And then what was the result of that? The biggest barrier to successfully implementing something that is customer centric is the policies, politics and the bureaucracy of large organisations that make it very challenging. And that's why I think that these sort of customer experience change and transformation needs to come from the top and also needs to be supported strongly by culture change. So if you have a really good insight and you've got 51% conviction and you've designed a beautiful solution for it, there's probably a big chance it won't get implemented unless you have those other things supporting you. Is there an example of this that you've that you've personally dealt with? There's an example where we did some research uh, with customers and the organization was so old school, basically, and, you know, sales were a 100% commission type thing and they're just not customer centric. And this is just them trying to have a little taste of doing something that's customer centric. And let's talk to our customers, learn a little bit more about them, get some insights, put together some solutions and put it forward. Now, what we found was most of the insights were that, you know, 80% conviction, 90% conviction, pretty obvious and not too hard to come up with. But then there's one or two that were a little bit more transformational. They're a little bit bigger, like basically you need to start from scratch or you need to spend lots of money, do a large digital transformation and update all of your everything. And then you can start looking at trying to be more customers and you start doing things that are a little bit more human rather than just, you know, computer says no type approach. And we were legitimately worried about proposing the the big picture one because we're like, well, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to agree with it. They're going to think we're off our rocker. So we really just went slowly with some of the obvious ones and and they, they really agreed to it and that they agreed to a lot of the, the small insights, the small initiatives like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's great. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. And they did start driving a lot of those changes because and that comes back to this this commercial side of it of yeah i can see a clear roi i can see a clear business case for that and it's quite they were quite obvious ones what sort of changes out of interest what were some of those things one was putting together an nps program so start measuring the experience you're giving your customers but do it in a way that it ties to metrics that it's got governance supporting it, that you've actually got a team that's helping you derive value from those insights and designing, you know, improvement strategies and and closing the loop on that feedback. So, I mean, that that was one that was a fairly obvious one, but that, that has strong ties to that culture change as well. So, currently, there's no university degree that I'm aware of around becoming a customer experience professional. What um, resources and uh, tools and places do you go to learn around customer experience, whether it's implementing, designing, etc.? Universities are, are a good one, and I think that there needs to be a bit more about this sort of stuff in universities' courses. The resources I use, first and foremost, I, I listen to you know, great podcasts like this one. But that, We didn't pay for that, by the way. Unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm there are some other ones, though. Well, one of them is called Service Design Show and Why Service Design Thinking, and this is HCD. So there are a couple that I listen to that are quite good, but um, there's not that much on the CX strategy side. There's quite a bit on the design side. So I listen to them. I follow you know different people on LinkedIn 
and my feed on LinkedIn is quite good. So I get a lot of really interesting articles that people have written just through a curated feed on on LinkedIn. Some of the schools that are teaching customer experience and human-centered design, such as General Assembly and Academy XI, uh, I go to a lot of their events, which are really good, and there's a lot of good information coming out of them. They've got events, they run one-day courses, and they run courses over a few weeks. So I recommend a lot of that sort of stuff. But in terms of following them on LinkedIn, they also produce a lot of really interesting content. So that's your Academy XI and and General Assembly. But then there's also um, Customer Experience Professionals Association. So CXPA, I follow them. There's pretty much all the big consulting firms produce a lot of interesting content. So, you know, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they, they often produce a lot of interesting stuff that's also customer-centric. Like nice white papers and things, yeah. Yeah. Are there any books that you've read or are aware of that are great for topics like journey mapping or um, how to actually, you know, implement service design or those kinds of things? So, there's a book called This is Service Design Thinking, which is quite good about designing better customer experiences. And there's also a human-centered design field book, I think is what it's called. And they're really good. And then there's what I kind of see, or it certainly kicked it off for me in my career uh, and becoming more of a CX professional. But I feel like it kicked off in the industry is, is the ultimate question. So, that's the book on NPS. That's kind of where NPS came from. And that was a really good book on how to measure customer feedback and what to do with it. And it ties a lot in with closing the loop and that culture change. But then there's also been a book called Beyond the Ultimate Question. And I think anyone who's going to do any sort of VOC, customer feedback, management, culture change should definitely read both of those books as well. Dan, welcome to the quick fire round where we ask you questions in a quick fire manner and you have 10 seconds to answer. Michael and I are going to trade blows. How are you feeling right now? Uh, a bit nervous, but good. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. So, uh, your time starts at the end of the first question. Let's go. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, um, it was a sorbet and it was blood orange and dark chocolate. Jeez, that's incredibly specific. <laughs> I know, I was freaking out. But there's a new ice cream shop near me and they do really good uh, sorbets. Dan, what book or books have made an impact on you? Um, I have to go with the Bible because uh, it provides rules that govern our way of life and influ- it's had the biggest influence over our value system, but it's also taught me that the rules are bullshit a lot of the time. <laughs> Damn, take that. And what's your guilty pleasure? Not that guilty, but uh, drinking coffee on the weekend, reading a magazine all by myself. feel a bit guilty with daughter at home and the wife, but it's, it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever received? Act as if or fake it till you, till you make it. Other than this one, what are some of your favourite podcasts? Uh, I really like... I'm, I'm getting into um, health and you know, health to have more clarity of mind and more energy and all that sort of stuff. And there's a guy called Dave Asprey who runs a podcast called Bulletproof, Bulletproof Executive. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love that. Very good. And and there's another one that I actually got onto from that one, which is called The Influencers from John Levy. Dan, when you get dressed, do you put your pants on before your socks or your socks on before your pants? Pants before socks. Yeah. Every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people do it the other way. I don't understand. Uh, you know what? Actually. Wait, bombshell. If I'm if I'm dressing up, if I'm wearing a suit or like a, a shirt and nice slacks, I'll often do my socks first because otherwise I feel like it creases them. Yeah. As I put the stuff in, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. it's the only exception. <laughs> Glides in easier. 
Describe a bit of an ideal weekend for you. Ideal weekend would be going out for coffee and breakfast with my daughter in the morning and then at some point throughout the day going out for coffee by myself with a magazine. <laughs> some sort of afternoon activity with the family. Which, which magazine, by the way? Uh, the Smith Journal, I really like. And then, yeah, followed up with a lovely dinner with the wife and some kick-ass wine. It's a pretty good weekend. Do you judge a book by its cover? Uh, yes. Yeah. Wine, books, podcasts. <laughs> a lot of things I cover. I shouldn't. I don't like it. Try not to. But. And uh, what's near the top of your bucket list? Well, it has been to be my own boss and run my own business. I had a startup a couple of years ago, which we exited, but that was always a side project while you know holding a real job. So I guess now doing some more freelance work. I, I guess I'm kind of doing that or heading towards that. Which is good. We've mentioned VOC or the voice of the customer a couple of times throughout this discussion. What is that? Voice of the customer in its sort of simplest form is, or traditionally, it's it's a survey engine. So, it's a survey engine that sends surveys to customers, captures their feedback in a central place, aggregates that feedback, and then from there, there are tons of bells and whistles and different things that different VOC platforms have that plug into that. But, you know, there's a survey engine that is often called voice of customer, but to me, Voice of Customers is a big program where it involves processes of following up with customers, closing that loop, driving culture change, having targets that will drive the right behavior. What, what's it useful for? Voice of Customer, where we're getting a better understanding of who the customer is and, and being more customer-centric, you know, understanding them from a survey perspective and, and maybe some grabs and quotes from what they're experiencing. But what do we actually do with that? Well, you mentioned that it's important for understanding your customer, but at the end of the day, it's just one data point that feeds into it. So, you need to understand your customer from doing a whole lot of other research as well. But voice of customer is a very powerful piece of data that can help you take action on giving your customers a better experience. So, at the end of the day, I think if one of your customers has filled out a survey, they have invested time and provided you with some feedback and that's an asset and it should be treated like an asset. That's a great line. I haven't heard someone say you should treat that as an asset. Mm. I mean, sometimes it, the, the survey response will say you guys are shit. Now, you know, some, some assets have different values than others. <laughs> well, that's still, that's still hyper-valuable. Like, why, why did they say that? Like, what was the scenario, et cetera? Well, exactly right. So, it's, it's, it, in isolation, it's not valuable, but in context, it is. So, if you then get that feedback and understand the context that it was provided, at what point in the journey and what channel and what touch point, whatever else. And if you know even more data about what the customer has done leading up to that point, then that's really valuable. And you can do things with that and you can identify pain points for your customers and start driving action and, and improvement. What's exciting you about customer experience right now? Like what are, you, what are you really passionate about when you enter this field as a CX pro? It's still an emerging field. You know, it's sort of the early days of the, this industry. What, uh, what's really exciting you? I'm excited by some of the technology that is coming to support the change that organizations are trying to drive or achieve. So, you know, on that point of getting customers feedback across their journey and understanding those pain points in, in retrospect and understanding what points in the journey are broken and what do we need to fix. Once you get enough data of that, you can identify the, the journey that someone is going on and what they're going to go on and be able to preempt a bad experience and avoid it. So, not just measuring a bad experience and then reducing the number of times that experience is, is had, 
by future customers, but actually being able to stop customers having that experience proactively. What are some things that you've seen, whether it be technology or even if it's conceptual things right now that, that, that are in that space? Conceptually, it's kind of like, you know, journey mapping software, essentially, that is like Google or Waze, where if you go off course, it redirects you. And if you're about to hit a whole bunch of traffic, it helps you avoid it. So that's, to me, the future of what, what CX could be. And, and that's pretty exciting. And that could be an engine that is powered off voice of customer data. So just, just to quickly unpack some of the voice of customer stuff very quickly, a little bit more. The voice of the customer is, is that customer feedback and it's your customer sentiment about you. So it could be solicited through things like a survey. It could be unsolicited through things like social media and complaints emails. It could be structured like metrics and numbers or good and bad and you know what to do with that. Or it could be unstructured being free text. They're the different elements of it, I guess. And it's the power of using that to then drive these journey maps that automatically direct you and can be quite powerful. Voice of customer data is super useful and valuable. What's another example of a great initiative that you can build out of understanding the customer better? I don't know about initiative, but there's some really good stories where People have taken that data and done something about it really quickly and delivered a better customer experience immediately. Uh, and there's a really good example that I actually heard from Michael at an event recently. Michael, do you want to tell that that story? <laughs> Ooh. Actually, it, uh, <laughs> the, the interviewee becomes the interviewer. <laughs> I don't think I've answered a question before. So, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan. Actually, Dan and I met when I was at a, a startup pitch night. My first time that I've done a startup pitch actually and Dan was in the audience and we uh, got to know each other afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, the story that I told was, um, you know, so I'd Radar, we, we focus on capturing in the moment real-time feedback as opposed to sending something out afterwards and it's, you know, post-experience. Uh, and, yeah, there's a story of a department store that we were working with in, in Singapore and, and there was uh, a person in a wheelchair going through the department store and, um, you know, was struggling to navigate a certain area and, you know, gave some real-time feedback on one of our um, uh, tablets in store. And the management team got that straight away and the guy came upstairs from his office, <laughs> went down and started widening the aisles uh, where they were. And that was like a real-time response to some customer feedback. So, that was obviously pretty pretty impressive and it could obviously be done when you get that real-time view. Wait, so, he, so, so the manager was um, moving stock so that the wheelchair could get through while the wheelchair was still there? I don't know that level of detail, but I definitely know that while the person was in the store, they were widening the aisles. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Like, while they're still in the store, that's amazing. So, I, I just think that's brilliant because it's it's really what customer experience and voice of customer is really about is is delivering a better experience for your customers, not just about getting a score and, you know, changing targets and the, the new thing to start measuring. I think often with customer experience, people lose focus of the desired outcome and focus on the process and the method. And I think that that's a beautiful example about a company that is focused on the outcome, obviously. It might be worth just naming them because they're a great organization, um, Metro Department Store, and they're actually, you know, very traditional uh, heritage brand in Singapore. They've been around for, you know, very long time, sort of almost 100 odd years. And they're going on this modernizing journey where their head of customer experience is actually, his title is called um, head of guest services. And you wouldn't think that they view retail as guest services, but that's how they think about it, right? Like these customers coming into my retail store are my guests and we're delivering them a a total guest experience. You know, the concept of there's three versions of, of me. There's who I think I am, who others see me as, and who I really am. And they're three different things. To me, organizations are exactly the same. So, 
there's who they think they are and that's usually by what they say and who they say they are. Their marketing campaigns. <laughs> yeah. Their, their marketing campaigns but also their their vision documents and their yeah. their values and, and all, all the internal lingos and all their internal like rah-rahs. So, that's, that's who they think they are. Then you've got your voice of customer and your customer feedback to say, that's what our customers think we are. And then there's who you really are. And which is somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Exactly right. And it's about trying to align all of that. And quite often, those those three personas or those three um, versions. Uh, versions could be very different and very far apart. They, yeah, they often are. There's some research from Bain & Co, which I can uh, link in the show notes and I, I'll get the stats wrong, but something like how good organizations think they are at customer service, they'll sort of, you know, peg themselves at 90%. And then when they then ask their customers the same question, they're at like 10%. Like the gap is massive. They call it, uh, Bain & Co call it the delivery gap. And they actually looked at this and it's the same sort of thing. Like if you ask university students, like where would you benchmark yourself on the average score of intelligence or driving abilities? Like everyone is in the top 20th percentile, which is obviously statistically impossible. (laughs) So like, it's, it's the exact same thing, right? Like all these organizations think that they're actually delivering a pretty good job and their internal rah-rah says that, but actually the service delivery that customers are seeing uh, and experiencing, there is that gap. Yeah, and, and coming back to your question before of what is a sex professional, I think it's their job is to reduce that gap and that's what they're there for is to help reduce that gap. So it's about showing the executives the customer feedback and the customer needs and it's about aligning the values and the vision of the company to what your customers actually want and it's about bringing that alignment. Right, and then building the processes and the people and orchestrating that to keep reducing that gap. Yeah, and do it authentically in in a really authentic way, not pretending to. So, organizations that say they're customer-centric but then they behave differently is just, it's worse than just not being customer-centric and not caring about the customers. They look. I mean, I have this discussion with a lot of people with budget airlines and they say, oh, buddy, Tiger cancelled again or I went Jetstar and that is or whatever. I'm like, well, it, it's a budget airline. I think, you know, it is what it is and people know that and I see them being pretty authentic and pretty customer-centric in, in what they are. But you're never going to get the same experience as you are with a premium airline and I think there's a lot about that authenticity and that alignment. Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. That was uh, That was really fun. Wow, great interview with Dan Fine. He's a CX pro and now a podcast pro. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Just really quick, funny side story. We met Dan at an event where he was finishing his day going in a corporate lift going down and my team got into the lift wearing a Raid It t-shirt and he was like, oh, you guys look really startup-y. Like, where are you off to? And they're like, oh, we're going to this event. Actually, our boss is doing a pitch. And he's like, oh, I might come along. And then he rode, <laughs> rode along up in the lift, sat in the audience. And then he's like, oh, shit. Like, this is all about, like, customer experience. This is my jam. And he uh, came up afterwards and started chatting. And, and we, you know, it was a meeting of the minds in terms of, you know, we thought about a lot of things uh, the same way. And we kept in touch. And then he started listening to the podcast. And so, here's a guy that we just met randomly in the lift. In a lift. Came along to an event. And then now he's on the show. And he was an absolute superstar. I, I didn't know that 
story until now. So, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for sharing. Let's jump into our debrief section. This is where we sum up the key takeaways from the episodes. I might kick us off today. The first thing that I really loved, and this is something that has come up a couple of times through our 20-ish episodes that we've completed, customer experience needs to be driven by senior leadership. Right. And there was a moment there where we were kind of riffing with Dan about, you know, who it is. And he he made a really big point that it has to be the CEO who leads it. Mm. But then he followed it up and said, but everybody else who delivers it. And so... It's interesting, there's this kind of uh, tension and and pulling in either direction, like customer experience transformation and customer-centric transformation needs to be paired with culture change as well. Right. And so, it has to be driven by the top of an organization. And so, that really comes down to the CEO. Yeah, one of the takeaways for me was the way that he talked about delivering an idea of an initiative internally. And it was share that with 51% confidence, but 100% conviction. Yeah. And what I really like about that is that it, it shows the right mindset, right? Which is like, I really want to get behind this thing 100%, but I'm open to it failing. Like, I'm open to this not being the right way, and I'm open to being led by the data, etc. The third takeaway was around this topic of the voice of the customer. And Dan said something that I was kind of, I think we're both a bit uh, surprised by. He said, survey data should be treated like an asset. Right. And, like, at first you go, well... The conventional wisdom is that surveys kind of suck generally, and I know that's something, Michael, that you're trying to trying to change, but when we think about surveys, it's usually a whole bunch of information of people complaining. But when you really kind of unpack that and challenge that assumption and you think about it, someone's taken time to give an organisation feedback that they hope will fix a problem that they've had. And, you know, a lot of customers, when they deal with an organization and have a problem may just never do anything. And most people will probably just move on and never come back. So, if somebody's taken the time to tell you what's wrong, you really need to treat that like it's gold. Yeah, the last thing that I had for me was coming from a uh, customer experience professional was actually how do, how do you define that role? Like, is there a role there to design all the journey maps and the blueprints and the strategy? Is there a role really around firefighting all the issues that come up? Is there a role to come up with great initiatives to make customer experience better? Like, I was even a bit uncertain about how to think about what is a great CX pro when you start building out a team and the muscle internally for a CX pro. And I really liked his definition, which was is to understand the delivery gap. And there always is a delivery gap of what you think that you're delivering versus what the customer is experiencing. So, understanding that delivery gap and obviously communicating that well, but then building programs, processes and the right people changes to constantly close that gap and doing that with authenticity around truly wanting to make the customer experience better. So, I thought that was a really, really, really nice definition. So, let's sum up the four takeaways. The first one that I had was that any CX initiative or transformation really needs to be driven by the CEO. I think the best way to table initiatives is with 51% confidence, but 100% conviction. The third takeaway was around the voice of the customer, and that's to really treat survey data like an asset. And finally, anyone who is a CX professional or has customer experience in their remit, really the best way to think about that role is to close the delivery gap. 
Well, great show and thank you for listening. I guess like one final parting thought, uh, Dan mentioned a bunch of really great resources during the show. If you were trying to scramble with a pen and paper during the episode to try and note all of those down, don't worry, we've got you covered. Um, We've got a list of all of those in the show notes for the episode. Plus, Dan actually um, sent through a few additional resources as well. So, we've got a summary of all of that on the website, customerexperienceleaders.com. Awesome. And it is a really good list. So, it's worth uh, checking out if you are interested in becoming a CX Pro or are a CX Pro. So, thanks very much for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Letters is produced by Rateit. Rateit has a range of really great ways for you to gather on-the-spot customer feedback uh, so that you can learn more about what your customers think and feel about their experiences and help you deliver more delightful ones. To find out more, head to rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This show is produced in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by me and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the episode. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. And finally, before we finish up, just a quick reminder to head to the website customerexperienceleaders.com where you can find the full list of Dan Fine's resources, tips and courses to help you become a customer experience professional. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Adam Jaffrey. We'll speak to you next time.